we'll begin with respiratory diagnostic procedures under nursing care for clients with respiratory disorders. We'll look at diagnostic and therapeutic procedures. These procedures that we bother to discuss, they are used to evaluate the client's respiratory status by checking those indicators <clears throat> such as their blood oxygenation or O2, perfusion, the lungs function, and the integrity of our airway to maintain or to carry on those normal airway or breathing activities. That's about this particular procedure. The nurse want to understand the various diagnostic tests or procedures done under this system. The nurse wants to understand arterial blood gases, looking at when there is compensation, when there is uncompensation, when there is any other factor that might affect arterial blood gases that might cause acidosis or acidosis depending on whether it is metabolic or it is respiratory. Um, we also want to look at uh, tests that about the like bronchoscopy, thoracentesis. These are tests the nurse will have to understand and know how these tests are carried out. So based upon this, uh, we'll look at this procedure and then look at them. Now, we'll talk about pulmonary function tests. The first procedure we'll look at is the pulmonary, pulmonary function test. The pulmonary function test, this is a test that determine the lungs function and also look at the look at breathing difficulties. This test looks at the lung functions and also comes to interplay when we are having breathing difficulties. That's about the test. Um, in the pulmonary function test, in short, we call it the PFTs. Uh, there are a series of tests we do to know the functional ability of the, of the lungs. So we look at the lungs volume, the pulmonary Function test take into consideration one the lungs volume the lungs volume that's one two this test looks at the lungs capacity that is when you are breathing in and out how many air the total lungs volume the, the lungs total volume the lungs capacity these are things this test uh, look at for us it also looks at Diffusion, how are we diffusing the air? The, how are we diffusing the lungs field? The O2 and the CO2, what is their interchangeable length? How are they uh, moving along? Are we getting the requisite amount of O2 to take in and put out the amount of CO2, to, CO2 that we need to put out? Because when there's a problem in exchange of air, O2 and CO2, our body cells become uh, at risk, and when that occurs, our body itself is also at risk. So, this pulmonary function look at look at this thing. It also looks at the flow rate. The flow rate. It looks at the airway resistance, um, along with how can we distribute air during ventilation or ventilatory problems. What are those things that are happening within there? 
These are things the pulmonary function tests uh, do for us. It is also helpful <clears throat> to identify when a client has lung disease or uh, uh, lung disease. So it identifies a lung problem, lung disease, uh, lung disease. It does that. This test also it can be performed before surgical procedure to identify respiratory risk. So uh, risk, I mean. So if the client has a respiratory uh, a lung procedure to be done or other procedure, we can do the pulmonary function test to know the lung ability to withstand the stress that will be placed on the lungs during the procedure. So we can also do the test to determine the lung function. Um, it can also be done when it's a surgical procedure to identify. Um, it also can also, it also if a client is a smoker, get a client not to smoke for at least six to eight hours before the procedure. So when the client is a smoker, the client the, we cannot smoke. We are doing this test, so we have to stop smoking for at least six to eight hours before this particular pulmonary function test. Um, if the client uses inhalers. We will have to withhold the inhaler at least four to six hours before the procedure. These are important tips that I want us to understand about the pulmonary function test. Then we have the arterial blood gases. Now, in the arterial blood gases, I'm going to skip this. Um, we do this separately for us to understand a lot about the arterial blood gases. In the arterial blood gases, um, it is uh, 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 arterial blood gas samples reports the status of oxygenation um, and also acid-based balance of our blood. And that's where we take into consideration the pH, the pHCO2, the bicarbonate, the HCO3. We take into consideration the values of those uh, of, of those uh, of those uh, chemicals and those uh, airway indicators in our body or doing the ABG. So we table the ABG and do it on a separate time where we look at all the do's and don'ts about the ABG. So I will skip the ABGs. You can listen to it also on our audio. We have them in our audio. You can listen to the ABGs and its values, but I will rather take a day aside and teach it by its level this to the last class. So if we have a last class ABG, you understand how we can do the ABGs. Um, then we can also do um, bronchoscopy. Bronchoscopy is another test we do when the client has a lung problem or to identify lung problem. So we have bronchoscopy. Now for the bronchoscopy, it is important because because the NCLEX has a lot of on bronchoscopy procedure. In the bronchoscopy, um, it is a procedure that permits us to, visual, to visualize the lungs, um, the larynx, the trachea, and the bronchi. That's our bronchoscopy. So, so we use a fiber optic, uh, or fiber optic rigid bronchoscope a long thread or like a wire that has a camera on it and we insert it and it helps us to visualize as it moves around within the airway we see it we see the part of the airway on the monitor 
That's how they do a bronchoscopy. Now, in bronchoscopy, for this procedure, it is important for us to know why these procedures are being ordered. Why does the doctor, or why would the doctor order a bronchoscopy for a client? Why? And that is the why, the why question. The answer for the why question will take us to the nursing management when it comes to this procedure. What the nurse supposed to know about this procedure, it comes in the end class as teaching question. Example, the client was going for a, the client is going for a bronchoscopy. What statement would the client make for the nurse to understand that the client has an adequate understanding about the procedure? Meaning, what statement would the client make for the nurse to know that the client understands the procedure? Or it could be the other way around. What statement would the nurse make, or what statement would the patient make to the nurse that will involve the nurse intervention? That means, what statement would the, would the patient make that is wrong that will call the nurse attention? to intervene and correct the patient. Now, if we do not know about this procedure, we cannot answer either of the questions. Whether it comes in the right way or in the wrong way, we cannot answer the question. So it is important for us to listen to these indications for these procedures and know when can it be done. For the bronchoscopy, we said, it is performed in an OPD. It can be performed in OPD, meaning we can do it in outpatient department. It does not have to be done in the hospital is in OPD outpatient department or units. Um, we can do the, we can do the test just as a walk-in the doctor office or some area. It can be done there. Um, this can be done also in a surgical unit under general anesthesia. Um, so it can be done as an outpatient. It can be done in the hospital. It can also be done at the patient bedside on a local anesthesia. So if it's done on the OR, on the OR, it could be done on, on a general anesthesia, the patient is unconscious. If it is done at the bedside, it can be done on a local anesthesia where we just portion of the client body is uh, uh, we use an anesthetic agent to numb the area to do the procedure at the patient bedside. Um, so this will require a moderate sedation, maybe it will be like moderate unconscious um, or, or moderate sedation can be, can be carried out when the client is doing it at the bedside. Now, it can also be performed on clients who have, who are receiving other mechanical ventilation by inserting the scope into the client endotracheal tube. So if the client has endotracheal opening, where the client is going through some mechanical ventilation, we do not have to open another area. We can just insert the tube, the wire, or, the, or what I asked, the fiber optic wire we use, just insert it into the client trick, and it also goes, it, it goes in and it helps us to visualize the larynx, the pharynx, the bronchi, and all those aspects of the airway we want to visualize under the bronchoscopy. We can do that also. So if a client has, if a client has trick, uh, trick already, we do not have to create another opening. We can use the same trick opening and also carry out the procedures. Now, the procedure can diagnose for us, it can pick up for all, uh, tumors, inflammations, and other structures along the airway. So when we do the procedure, we can pick up tumors, um, we can pick up structures, structures of the airway, and also other abnormalities that come within the airway. So all of those things can be diagnosed just by doing the bronchoscopy. 
And even when there's inflammation, we can also find out that the bronchi or the pharynx or the larynx is inflamed just by doing the bronchoscopy. Um, bronchoscopy is performed also um, when, uh, like, let's say, for example, when there's a biopsy. Like, when we do a lung biopsy, we can do a bronchoscopy to do lung biopsy in the case of cancer. Clients who undergo bronchoscopy with biopsy have additional risk of bleeding. So when a client has additional risk of bleeding, our uh, work as this is our, our implementation is to put in measure or additional measure that will prevent the client from having bleeding problem during the during the period of the test. And uh, the client also can uh, when the client has activation of deep sputum or lungs abscess, we will do CNS. We can do bronchoscopy to do CNS for clients who are having these problems. It is performed for therapeutic purposes, not only for diagnostic purposes. We can also do bronchoscopy when the client or to, to, to give it as a, to use it as a therapy. So we can use it as both diagnostic procedure and also as a therapeutic procedure, um, such as when we are removing foreign body from the airway. If a child has Foreign body that are going stuck in a client air, in a child's airway, we can use bronchoscopy to remove that foreign body. We go in and visualize and know the location at which the foreign body is 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 is, is, is located. Then we will we'll remove it just by the help of the bronchoscopy. So it can be done as a diagnostic procedure. It can be done also as uh, as a therapeutic procedure. Now. So the bronchoscopy can also help to remove secretion in the case of tracheal bronchiectomy. In the tracheal bronchiectomy, it can also be used to treat post-operative atelectasis. So when a client has post-operative atelectasis, we can use bronchoscopy to provide treatment for the client who has the condition. Or it can also to destroy extra lesion or to excise lesion. When there are lesions within there, in the lungs, that we cannot get to it easily, we can use a bronchoscope to go in and walk and, and, and remove those lesions that are growing. These are all things that are, can be done with the bronchoscopy. Now, my, in, my, my concern about bronchoscopy becomes the nursing consideration that comes with bronchoscopy. Now, for the bronchoscopy, Let's look at the nursing consideration for bronchoscopy. It is important for us to look at the nursing consideration. Um, under the nursing consideration for bronchoscopy, um, let's look at some of the nursing points for bronchoscopy. One, um, if the client who has the condition and going for bronchoscopy, if the client we want to assess for allergies because we're going to use anesthetic, we're going to use anesthesia. So you want to ask the client whether the client has ever undergone anesthesia or you want to monitor the client for any allergic reaction of the agent that we are using to pass anesthesia. We want to look at that. We want to also um, ask the client to ensure that there is a consent sign, the consent form has been signed and the client understands the, cons the informed consent. We want to also look at that. And we also want to get a plan about other procedure if the client does not want a bronchoscopy. What are the other procedures we can do for 
diagnostic or therapeutic purposes for the client who has the condition. We also want to remove the client dentures if it is applicable. We want to make sure that these dentures are removed and because if the client does, the client does not have openings in the trachea area like in mechanical ventilation, we want to use the client mark. So we want to remove the client dentures and put it in, uh, we place it in a safe area uh, so that after the procedure we can insert then back into the client mouth. For bronchoscopy, yes, we maintain NPO, we go fasting. We fast for at least four to eight hours to reduce the risk of aspiration during the procedure. That's why we have fasting when we are doing bronchoscopy. Because we're gonna do anesthesia, we're gonna give anesthesia. Whether it is at the bedside, it will be local. If it's at the OR, it's going to be generalized anesthesia. So we do anesthesia, and that's why the client goes on NPO for four to eight hours prior to the procedure. We want to also um, administer pre-procedure medication so as if the client can have anxiety, we want the client to take antidepressant agents. So before the procedure, if the client has anxiety, we want to administer antidepressant agents or antidepressant medication for the client who going to have anxiety during the procedure. We also want to make sure to administer the client with the atropine. What class of drugs atropine is? We just did this recently, atropine. We provide the client with atropines um, to help them to uh, dry the secretion in there. We also want to administer the client with the, uh, the client needs viscous um, Viscous anesthesia, the client will take the viscous anesthesia. We also want to get the client like a, any kind of a local athletic agent that is prescribed for the client and also nasal spray. These are category of medications the client is going to use when the client is going for bronchoscopy. We doing the procedure. Now, all of this procedure, we want to understand the client's position during the procedure. That means while the client is lying down, the client is sitting up, the client is in supine position, the client is in dorsal recovery. It is important that we measure this procedure, the, 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 the client position. It's important that we write down those positions because the agent will ask us, a client going for a casking, what is the best position for the client who's going for a casking? A client going for EEG, what's the best procedure, uh, position for EEG? These are things we have to make notification on it in our notepads to remember them well for the end class. We have to remember the positions in which the client will assume while going for this particular test. Now, we also, the clients go in a sitting position or the client take a supine position. The client can assume supine or a sitting position. I'm gonna write it on the board, supine position or sitting position. So the client can either sit or the client can go in a supine position while the procedure is being carried out. Um, for the procedure, we have to assist the client in collecting the specimen um, and, label, and labeling, labeling the specimen. What does collect the specimen? We read the client names and other information on the specimen to be transferred to the laboratory. Then we have to monitor the client virus sign because it is an error procedure. We have to monitor the client virus sign. The client is with the rate, 
the client O2 perfusion, that is the oxygen saturation which we do through the oximetry. We however the client heart rate, whether the heart rate is increasing or is or decreasing, look at those important vital signs linked to perforation. We have to do that. We have to um, if the client is given sedated uh, medication um, for other other clients who have already insufficiency can also precipitate respiratory uh, problem. So if the client is already an older client, a client who is geriatric and going for this procedure, and then we have to um, provide the client with sedative, this sedative can also, can also exacerbate an already existing respiratory problem for geriatric clients. So we have to be careful and cautious on how we administer these medications with the procedure we are doing for the client. Um, we want to continue this monitor the patient after the procedure um, do the client vital signs. We want to make sure we assess the client level of conscious, consciousness, re recognizing that older client can develop confusion. We have to recognize that in this procedure, geriatric clients or older clients can develop a uh, respiratory problem. They can develop uh, confusion and lethargy due to medication that are administered for the bronchoscopic. These are things we can look out for and we have to be very careful how we look out for these things. It is important to know those things. We want to assess the client level of consciousness, taking into consideration while the client is alert and oriented, while the client is uh, lethargic, while the client is stuporous, while the client is semi-comatose. These are the level of consciousness that we have to be observing the client when the client is having this uh, after, after the procedure. Then uh, we also have to assess the client gut reflex to know because without a gut reflex, the client cannot swallow. But the gut reflex can tell what the client can swallow or what the client can do, uh, what the client can return to normal food or things. We do that by the gut reflex. Um, after the gut reflex, normally, um, the gut reflex can be slower to return in older clients than younger clients. So if you have a client who is geriatric, their gut reflex return can be delayed due to aging. Um, for the clients receiving local anesthetic agents due to laryngeal impairment, uh, this can impair laryngeal reflex. If the client takes a local anesthetic agent, meaning it was not generalized as anesthesia, it was done at the bare side because we said at the bare side, we use local anesthetic agent. In the OR, we use general anesthetic agent. So if it was done at the bare side, local would just be for the pharynx or for the stomach area. So we wouldn't pass anesthetic agent around here that will create or that will create um, that will create numbness to this area. So if that's the case, the client is at risk for laryngeal impairment. So we look out for that also when the client is having these problems. These are very important tips that we want to have when we're going for the NCLEX on a bronchoscopy. We also want to make sure that uh, um, once the gut reflex returns, once the gut reflex returns, then the client can start taking food by mouth. Now, when the gut reflex returns, we're not going to give, the, give this client just water because it takes time 
So we get the client ice chip, or we get the client uh, taking liquid, taking. So taking liquid comes in, in, a, in a huge compacted molecule compared to water, because water has dispersed molecule that when the client drinks it right after the gut reflex uh, returning, the client might have other problems. So that's why the client must take taking liquid or get the client an ice chip to suck on it as the first food the client is consuming by mouth or the first liquid before we can start to implement regular food. Now, we also want to monitor for fever. Um, less than 24 hours is not common. Like I said, when the client has a surgical procedure, fever might, if, if, if there's a fever in, 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 in fever will come, but it's not going to come in the 24 hours because fever is a sign of infection. So if it comes with, with, with this procedure after 48 hours, we'll see this problem developing, fever and other things coming up. Now, but after the procedure, we look out for bleeding problems for clients who are elderly clients. Uh, for elderly clients, we look out for bleeding complications for this uh, for individuals like that. Now, we also want to prepare to intervene if there are unexpected emergency. So when we do the procedure, the nurse must have the emergency card ready because sometimes after the procedure, there might be some unforeseen circumstances that might come in that might lead to emergency. So we have to be prepared to intervene when there is unforeseen emergencies. Um, like in the case of aspiration, laryngospasm, these things might come as complication after the surgery or after the procedure. One of the clients with oral hygiene, evaluate and document the client response to the procedure, the client normal vital sign. They are important to look at those vital signs to use them as a baseline data. For clients who are, who are elderly or geriatric client, um, there is an so we want to encourage the client to cough and do deep breathing exercises after the procedure for at least every two hours when the client is an elder person because there's an increased risk of infection and pneumonia after the procedure. Because when you have pneumonia, when you start when you are at risk of pneumonia, you don't want to allow yourself. You want to cough out sputum and other things that are going to be coming in it uh, in the lungs. You want to cough them out. You want to do deep breathing exercises that will help the work to to put out any fluid that might be accumulated in the lungs to prevent pneumonia. Uh, we also want to look at uh, the client discharge from the client uh, uh, lungs. The client might have the cough reflex. Um, we want to look at the client effort in doing these things. Uh, those are things that we want to look at for the client. So the client is at risk for laryngospasm, for pneumothorax, and for aspiration. These are risks that the client might have when the client undergoes bronchoscopic, the, the bronchoscopic. Any question for bronchoscopic? Now, then we look at the next procedure we call the thorax synthesis. Thoracentesis. Uh, it is another procedure, procedure in the ankle that we have to know much about it because the ankle loves thoracentesis. We have to know a lot about thoracentesis. Now, for thoracentesis, what is important about it is um, it is a surgical procedure um, wherein the chest wall 
is perforated and the plural space is used we use a large bone needle to enter the plural space to take out particles that are not supposed to be in the plural space um, it is performed to obtain specimen when we will do diagnostic evaluation it can perform to instill medication into the plural space so this particular part of disease it can be done to treat as a treatment procedure and also it can be done to diagnose as a diagnostic procedure so we can use it as treatment to instill medication into into the plural space into the plural space um, or it can be done as a diagnostic procedure to um, look at what is in there to test those particles within the plural space uh, it can also be used to remove fluids which we, which we call plural effusion the client has plural effusion fluid activity in the plural space that we call plural effusion we can use this procedure to, to, to remove fluid from in there in the case of plural effusion we can also use this particular procedure to remove air that will accumulate within the plural space so we can also use it to one to remove air that are trapped within the plural space and we can also use it to relieve plural pressure which is therapeutic procedure so in therapeutic procedure we can use it to one to remove so that the plural space between the in the plural area can have increased pressure so we go in and insert the uh to to insert um the large border in there and we remove the, the pressure in the plural space these are indications for thoracic disease the the procedure is performed under local anesthetic agents by the provider at the client bedside or it could be done in the procedure room or it could be done in the doctor's office now there are things i want you to understand about reading this material whenever the n class the book point out certain things that it is not pointed out in other procedure you will take notes on those indications now they said the procedure can be provided under local anesthetic agents at the client bedside in the local office or in a procedure room there where the procedure can be done then it also said we can they, they use an ultrasound we use ultrasound along with thoracic when we use ultrasound the ultrasound guides us to provide a safe or a safer ultra or a safer thoracic for the client so the ultrasound will guide us and prevent other complications that might come by mistakes uh, when doing the procedure the procedure is done when there is what we call transudate. In the case of transudate, like in the case of heart failure, we can do the procedure. In the case of a cirrhosis, when the client has liver cirrhosis, we can do thoracic When the client has nephritic syndrome, we can do thoracic When the client has hypoproteinemia, low level of protein within the body, which can cause some problem in the pleural area. We can also do the procedure thoracentesis. Um, the procedure can be done when the client has empyema. Look at these words. When the client has uh, empyema, 
When the client has empyema, we can do the procedure. When the client has pneumonia, we can do the procedure also indicated pneumonia. Uh, when a client has an injury, like trauma, blunt injury, blunt trauma, crouching injury, like there's a wound, a penetrating wound, there's a gunshot wound that penetrates the chest wall, there could be even other shot organs that will penetrate the chest wall in the case of trauma or any kind of a traumatic event, we can use the procedure to provide treatment for the client. Um, the client will have large fluids accumulated within the pleural space. Um, the client can have large fluid accumulated within the pleural space, which we have to take out, that might cause compression, it might cause pains within the client pleural area. And the client will cough, the client will have other symptoms that will tell you the client is having increased pleural pressure. This can happen in here. So we have to assess the, the pleural area for effusion, um, which there will be abnormal breath sound. When we do percussion, when the client has pleural effusion, when we do percussion, so in pleural effusion, uh, pleural effusion, there will be dullness, there will be dull sound or dullness heard on the client's lungs wall, on the client's wall. There will be darkness when the client has pleural effusion. We want to hear that in the client's chest wall. Um, there will be decreased chest wall expansion. When the client has something in the lungs, like fluid or air within the pleural space, the, because the pleural space is that space between the thoracic cavity and that of the lungs. So that space remains in there. It contains little amount of fluid that just to lubricates the, 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 the lungs perimeter. It also remains there to allow the lungs to have a cushion when there is a traumatic event occurring. So in the case of a pleural effusion, um, the lungs cannot expand well. When there is problem in there, the lungs cannot expand well and this will cause problem for the client. These are things that are going to happen to the client who has this condition. Um, so percussion, auscultation, Radiography, sonography is used to locate the effusion and to insert the needles to remove whether it's air, fluid, or other thing that is in the lungs. So we use other radiography or x-ray or ultrasound. Uh, we use ultrasonography or we use other, uh, like other x-ray tests to insert the needle at the right location to remove other fluid or air that have been accumulated within the pleural space. Uh, what is important on here is, um, we want to ensure that uh, the client has signed informed consent because it is invasive procedure. We want to gather all of the needed supplies for the procedure. We want to obtain the pre-procedure X-ray to locate pleural efficient and to determine needle insertion site. These are important aspects for the nurses to know before the procedure can be carried out. We want to also position the client in a certain upright position with the arms of the client and shoulder raised and supported by pillows. The client sit like this and uh, put the hands and, and the two hands and the, and, and the body over a pillow to support them during the procedure. And also we use an overbed table and uh, with his hands and legs well supported 
so they have access to the client plural space to drain out either the air or the fluid within there. You can look at the, the position on Google to know how the client will sit is also in the sunders. You can look at uh, thoracic procedure position in there. It's important to look at them. Um, the client will have other um, complications. So after the procedure, um, you want to make sure take the client vital sign, which is important. You want to make sure to apply dressing over those puncture sites for the client. You want to put dressing over the site. You want to also assess the dressing for bleeding or drainage. You want to also monitor the client's regulatory status. You want to make sure you also get the client lung sound for decreased breath sounds on the side of the thoracic thesis. There will be decreased breath sound on the side at which we are doing the thoracic thesis. So decreased breath sounds will be on the side where the client is having the thoracic thesis on. Go to encourage the client to do deep breathing exercises uh, with lungs expansion. You want to also obtain a post-procedure chest x-ray to know whether there is no mistake, there is no problem, and the client is not developing other pneumonia or other pneumothorax problem after the procedure. These are things you want to look out for. The client can have other complications like bleeding, there will be some medial stainless shift, there can be pneumothorax after the procedure. These are all complications that might come after the procedure. Any questions on, uh, on these procedures? Under care of clinical tubes is in the sanders. You will look at the nas the nasal, the nasal gastric tubes. Um, the purposes why we insert these tubes, they are in there. You will look at the types of tubes that are under under here. Look at the gastrointestinal tube for feedings, where you have uh, different tubes: the jejunal tube, the gastronomic tube. Um, the nasal, the nasal duodenum tubes, the, nas the nasal gastric tubes. These are tubes you want to look at under there. You have viral tubes that you want to look at. You have the esophagus and the gastric tubes under there. We have the gavage, the lavage, the decompression, urinary and renal tubes. With the original tubes, you have the endotracheal tubes, the trach tubes. The trick will do them. Um, you can just look, you can just look, look over them. You want to look at, um, you want to look at the ambu bag. How do we put in the ambu bag? How do we put in the uh, endotracheal tubes? The one that has cough, the one that is coughless. Now, what is important under here is the chest tube drainage system. That is the most important area I want us to look at. The chest tube drainage system. Um, if you go for the anklets, you want to know this particular system to your fingertip. The chest, the chest tube drainage system. Chest tube drainage uh, system. This is important for the anklets. Very, very much important for the anklets, whether you are LPN, LVN, or RN. For the anklets, it is important you know the test tube drainage system. Um, in this test tube drainage system, um, we have various compartments. We have three distinct compartments. Um, you have the first, second, and third compartment. 
What is important to note is how these tubes, how the tubes, how the, how, how the tube operates and what are the, 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 the various areas. So you have the first chamber, which is called the drainage collection chamber. The drainage collection chamber, um, it is the chamber that collects drainage, like, it, like, like the name depicts. This chamber is located where the chest tube from the client connects to the system. So um, the first area is the drainage collection chamber. There's a tube that is connected to the client chest wall that runs to the, to the particular system. So that first portion is what we call the drainage collection system. So you have something like this. The system goes like this. So the portion that has an opening that connects the client. This is the client lying down here. Um, this is the client right here. So the client chest wall, this portion connects to the client chest wall. This, this becomes the drainage collection system. It's where when the client chest wall is draining, the drains or the fluid from the client chest wall goes into the first area, which is called the drainage collection chamber. Um, this drainage, the drainage from the client tube drains into and collects in series of calibrated columns in the chambers. That's the first portion. Then we have the second portion, which is called the water seal chamber, which is this is A right here. Drainage collection chamber is the drainage collection chamber. Second portion is the water seal chamber. Now, in the water seal chamber, um, the tips of the tubes is under water. So the tube tip is underneath the water. It allows fluid and air to drain from the pleural space and prevent air from entering the pleural space. So it is submerged. It allows the submerging of that particular tube allows fluid to drain into that particular chamber and prevent water and fluid air from going back into the chest wall. Um, under this particular area, you will see what we call water oscillation. You will see tides going up, the up and down of, the, of that chamber, you see, you see it going up and down. Um, in this chamber, what the, the, the fluid moves up and down, it moves up and down as the client breathe. So you will see this, Portion always going up and down in oscillation. That is normal with the water seal chamber. Under this water seal chamber, there will be always continuous bubbles. So um, I'm, I'm sorry. Under here, you will see the tire going up and down. So whenever there's a continuous bubble in, in here, this indicates there's an air leak in the chest tube. So whenever we see bubbles in here, Meaning there's a leakage within the tube. That is not what we want to see in there. There'll be a leakage in the tube when or whenever there is a bubble occur occurring in there. There's a leakage in the chest tube system. Then we have the last compartment, which we call the suction control chamber. So this becomes the suction control chamber. This particular portion is the suction control chamber. Now in the suction control chamber. It is uh, the suction control chamber provides the suction. 
So it is where when the machine is trying to climb, there, there is there is there where we, uh, where we want to see the control of the suctioning air. We want to see it in that segment of the chamber. Um, this can be controlled to provide negative pressure to the chest wall. This chamber is filled with various level of water to achieve the desired level of suctioning. Without this control, the lung tissue will be sucked into the chest uh, tube. So the third portion, which is the suction of the chamber, is in there to prevent the lung tissue from being sucked into the, into the tube. Because if this tumor is not there to, to suction the client as the client undergoes the drainage or the draining, the tube will suck the lungs tumor or the lung tissue from, from in the lungs. That's why it is important to be there. Now under here, there is gentle bubbling in this tumor. Now, gentle bubbling in this tumor indicates that there is a suctioning and does not indicate that air is escaping. So you you will see continuous gentle bubbling in the suction control chamber. This indicates that there is something going on. It does not indicate that there is a leakage. When you see bubble in section B, the water control, the water seal chamber, it is not good. But there will be bubbling occurring in C. I'm saying this, we have to understand what is occurring in section A, which is the drainage control chamber that is normal, what is occurring in the water seal chamber, section B, that is normal, and what is, what is occurring in the last section C, which is, which is the suction control chamber. We have to understand what occurring in these three chambers. In the end class, they're going to ask you, the nurse saw a continual bubbling in this water seal chamber. What's the nurse immediate action? A, pull out the tube. B, call the doctor. See, it is normal for there to be a gentle bubble in this water in this suction control chamber, and D says immediately wake the client up. So the nurse has to know what to do when there is something happening in this chamber. Whether it is normal, if it is normal, keep monitoring it. If it is abnormal, what the nurse can do. It is important to know these things as we go along. Now, for this. For the control system of, sorry, there are two kinds of, uh, so we have the dry suctioning system and we have the wet system when it comes to this junior system. Look at them in the sunders and you will have an adequate understanding. You want to read them and look at um, this area. Now, what is important also for the dry suctioning system, um, so we have the wet system and we have the dry system. For the dry system of this water, uh, of this chest uh, of drainage, it is also a, another type of drainage system. Now, in the dry, in the dry suctioning system, um, it is there will be a dry. I'm sorry. In this, in the dry suctioning system, the, we have the wet and the dry one. Now, in the dry system. Um, there is, we'll have the client being suctioned, like in this C session, but it's going to be a dry suctioning, meaning there will be no water in there to carry out the suctioning. It's going to be a dry suctioning procedure that will be carried out in the C section. Under here, there will, uh, an arsenal bubbling is noted in this section. 
Um, meaning there is a control of the sodium occurring in there. There will be a dry system in here that will not require us to see fluids in there because it is a dry system that we're talking about. In here, there's a knob on the collection device that is used to set the prescribed amount of sodium. Then the wall sodium source die is turned until a small orange filter valve appears in the window of the device. This is not really important, but just also that we have the wet and the dry system when it comes to this particular device that we're using to do the chest tube training. Now, um, for the intervention, for the intervention, we have this particular system here. Um, let, let, let's look at the portable chest unit system. In the portable one, there is a small in the portable chest unit system that is available both as dry and wet system that we can use to provide care for the client who has uh, disease or who has chest tube drainage or, or who, who needs chest tube drainage. Now under here, um, look at the, let, 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 let look at the intervention. For the collection tumor, for the collection tumor, um, we want to monitor the system. We want to monitor the system very well. We want to do that for the doctor. If we have a drainage more than 70, for the collection tumor, We talk about um, some compartments or the three basic compartments of the chest tube drainage system. And we also talk about why are we doing the chest tube drainage system. We talk about that. So I just want us to like, uh, keep on par with this particular chest tube. We said the chest tube drainage system has three parts. The first part is the drainage collection chamber. That is the first part. The second part is the water seal chamber. And the third part is the suction control chamber. And yesterday I was starting to explain to you the type of suction control chamber and we had to Stop there, take a break, and we did not come back. So, in the suction control chamber, I said it could be wet or it could be dry. So, we have the wet suction control chamber that needs to have water at all point in time, and we have the dry control chamber. And we went on to tell you some specifics about these different areas. So, just remove that under there. In the dry control, in the dry suction area, um, when the dry suction control is used, the provider will prescribe a level of suction for the device, typically around minus 20 centimeters of water, typically. Now, when this dry chamber is connected to the suction, there is a meter which is the regulator that is on that particular dry control chamber. This regulator on the chest tube drainage 
is set to the manufacturer's recommendation. So on the, on the water seal chamber, you have the manufacturer recommendation there. So it is calibrated or it is set at the manufacturer's point of recommendation for the dry, uh, for the dry suction system under the suction control because we said there are two parts, there are two types of suction control chamber, the dry one and the wet one. And the dry one is what I just talked about. Then we also say for the wet suction control chamber, the height of the sterile fluid in that particular portion of the chamber um, determines the amount of suction that is transmitted to the pleural space. So the, the difference between the wet and the dry is, in the wet one, we put sterile water in there and that level of the sterile water determines the amount of suction that will be done in the pleural space when the client is attached to this particular drainage system. Unlike the dry system, the manufacturer's recommendation is what we go by in the dry suction control system. That's just the basic difference between the wet and the dry system under the suctioning control area. That's what I want you to know. Now, and you want to understand which one of these compartments it is normal for us to have tarring, for us to have bubbles in that system, in the area, and which one it is abnormal for us to have bubbles in the area, in the chamber. So you got to understand these basics, and it's going to work for you, and you have a lot of things on it. And in the Sanders, it is really, really explanatory. It is explicit in the Sanders. So just remember that and go back and look at it. Now. The client might present with a dyspnea, distended neck vein or jugular vein distension. The client might have some hemodynamic instability. The client might have pleuratic chest pains. The client might have cough. The client will have other hyperresonance on, on percussion. Hyperresonance on percussion. The client, there will be dullness or flatness heard when we do percussion. And the client will have some asymmetrical chest wall elevation. So the chest wall will not expand at the same time when the client is uh, having these problems. For the procedure, we said yesterday, we said you want to verify the informed consent because it is an invasive procedure. You want to reinforce the client teaching. Teach the client deep breathing exercises for this particular chest tube drainage system. You want to make sure you assess the client for allergies. Um, allergies, because in this procedure, we use local anesthetic agents. So you want to assess the client for allergies to those local anesthetic agents. There are different types, depending on what the client would prefer, what the client is free of allergy with, is what the doctor is going to use. We want to assess the client into the desired position for the procedure. And in this procedure, we use other a supine position. We use supine position or we use a semi 
fowler position for the chest tube drainage collection. We use either a supine position or we use a semi-fowler position. You want to also administer pain medication and sedative, um, and sedative as prescribed. You want to prep the patient at the incision site um, with perfect down iodine solution or other solution or other agents they facility will approve to be used to prep the area before the procedure these are things we do under here you want to make sure the patient um place the chest tube below the client chest level the the, the chest tube is always placed below the patient chest level so the patient is lying on a bed you do not want to uh, equate or carry the patient chest tube up at the level or at the height of the patient chest it should always be below the patient chest level you want to make sure that the tubing um, from the bed to the drainage system is straight to promote drainage through gravity it is straight it is not tango it is not uh in any other position but it should be straight because as it when it is straight it will help a faster emptying with the force of gravity that's not going to happen the nurses should make sure that there is continual monitoring of the client's vital signs when the client is on the chest tube drainage these are all uh, nurses indication that we want to understand about the condition about the procedure um, like I said the breath sounds are important the patient O2 saturations are important the patient uh, just just like, like, like I said the entire virus sound they are very important when the patient is on the procedure in the procedure you want to monitor that at least every uh, four hours or as indicated by the doctor or the healthcare provider Keep the junior system, like I said, below the chest level at all time. You want to monitor the placement and the function. That is the reason for which it is being placed. Whether to put out air, fluid, or what is in the pleural space. Whether it is coming out, you want to make sure and look at that also. You want to make sure that uh, if the client is using the dry suction system, you want to make sure we talk about a regulator. You want to make sure that regulator is dialed, is dialed on the dry device at the prescribed level. You want to make sure it is at that level because it is the level at which we determine how much drainage are we suctioning from the chest tube at that point. So if it is not supervised, if it is not uh, monitored, any mistake at that point can cause problem to the patient. Um, you want to check for expected findings. Like I said, in those three tumors, you want to check which of the tumors we are having expected bubbling, and which of the tumors we cannot we cannot accept to have bubbling in those in that tumor. You want to understand that. You want to monitor that to see whether everything is happening normally for the client. You want to make sure that uh, you monitor routinely. The tubing for kings and other things along the way you want to make sure 
um, you monitor the chest tube insertion site for redness, for pains, for infection, and other crepitus, which can signify air leaking from the system. So when we have this occurring, meaning there's an air leakage in the system, you want to tip all the connection, I use a tip, to make sure there is no air escape. All of the connection of the tubings, you want to make sure those connections are tipped and they are well managed and well monitored. You want to also, now, you want to make sure um, the patient is in a semi-follow position to promote optimal lungs expansion and to and the genus to come out from the lungs with gravity. You want to administer medication as prescribed, like I talk about pains, medication, or sedative. You want to give them as prescribed. You want to obtain a chest x-ray to verify the position of the tubing. So chest x-ray can help us to verify the position of the tubing when we have uh, the tubing inserted into the chest wall. Now, you want to make sure at all point in time, you want to keep the following at the bare side. This is important and this can come in select or apply. You want to make sure, one, you always have a sterile water at the bare side. You want to have the at the bare side, sterile water at the bare side. You want to make sure that uh, at the bare side, you want to have enclosed, two enclosed hemostats. You want to have two enclosed, two enclosed hemostats at the bare side. You want to also make sure that we have occlusive dressing at the bare side. We want to have occlusive dressing at the bare side. You want to have these things at the client bare side. The client who is on the chest tube drainage. You want to have these materials at the bare side at all time. Hemostats, sterile water, and occlusive dressing. Now, due to the risk of causing pneumothorax, air in the thorax or in the, or in the chest wall, so the client with a chest tube genus stands the highest risk to have pneumothorax. The interest is going to ask you, a client who is on a chest tube drainage, which condition the client stands at the highest risk to encounter while on this chest tube drainage? It is pneumothorax. Because remember, we put in a tubing into the client's thoracic cavity. And that tubing, if mistake occurs, there will be air slipping into the thorax, which can cause pneumothorax. So the client stands the higher risk of having that. The client might have other infections, other building problems, but among them, pneumothorax is the highest risk of complication the client who is having a chest tube drainage can experience. Just so you remember that. Now, um, the client, just to reduce, uh, due to the cause of tension pneumothorax, the chest tube are clamped only when prescribed in specific circumstances. We never clamped the chest tube. They are only claimed when it is prescribed in specific circumstances. That's when we claim the chest tube. Such as when there's an air leakage. In the case of air leakage, what do we do? 
we clamp the chest tube. I want to remember these things for the ankles very well. We like doing system change when we are changing the system that is the junior system where it's being changed we claim the system uh, the tube got more tube is clamped nothing can go in nothing comes out so when we are changing the system we want to clean the tubing when there, when there is air leakage we want to clamp the tubing and when there is a damage to the junior system we want to clamp the tubing so those are the three indications that require us to clamp the tubing. When there's an air leakage, tubing can be clamped, or the tubing must be clamped. When there is a damage to the drainage system, the tubing got to be clamped. And also, when there is a disconnection, the tubing needs to be clamped. So in those three conditions or situations, we are allowed to clamp the tubing. Besides that, we cannot clean the tubing. Now, we do not milk the tubing, like milking it or massaging the tubing. We do not milk or massage the tubing. Um, only perform this action if it is prescribed that we should milk or massage it. Other than that, we cannot milk the tubing. Uh, stripping the tubing can create high negative pressure that can damage our lung tissue so we don't strip the tubing we don't we don't do anything to the tubing these are things we manage to make sure they are in place for the tubing now let's look at um in the three conditions what can we do when a client has an air leakage or air leaks what can we do when a client has pneumothorax what can we do or when there is an accidental removal of the system of the tubing what can we do those are complications of the chest tube drainage Let's look at air leak when there is an air leak or when there is air leaks uh, in air leaks what are we doing now in air leaks it might result from a if the tip is not placed on those connections securely there might be an air leak in those areas. So when we suspect air leak, what are we supposed to do as nurses? That becomes the question. So that becomes the question that we need to answer. So when there is a disconnection, when there is, which will result into air leaks, what can we do? The first thing in there is um, you want to make sure you monitor the water seal chamber for continual bubbling. You want to monitor the water seal chamber for continuous bubbling, um, air leak finding. So that's how we find out there's a, there's a leak occurring in the system. So we uh, check that. If we observe that, if it is observed, so you want to locate the source of the leaking you want to observe that and you want to intervene accordingly how do you intervene you want to tighten those connections where you have observed the leakage occurring you want to make sure those areas are tightened you want to make sure